Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. We welcome in Mark Canizero from the New York Post. I got to ask you, you cover golf, right? I do. Okay. I'm watching the Phoenix Golf Tournament last weekend. I think every golf tournament ought to have that kind of an atmosphere. I thought it was tremendous. Well, I love it. Um, and I don't know that you can do it at every tournament, Howard, because... And frankly, part of what that makes that special is that's what that particular tournament is known for. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, you have certain tournaments that have a characteristic, you know, uh, I mean, the Honda Classic to a lesser level has, you know, you know, has that, uh, that, that, that stretch, that Jack Nicklaus course, you know, the, the Bears trap there. Um, you know, you have certain elements to tournaments. I, listen, I am all in favor of that kind of vibe at golf tournaments because it attracts the younger crowd and that's what that's what the sport needs to do that's yeah. what all sports need to do and uh but i don't think you could have that you know that's a special spot there at 16 you're obviously referring to tpc scottsdale for for the uh, phoenix open right uh and uh so but i don't think I, I think it would be forced if you try to do it at every single tournament if that makes any sense so um I, you know but I, you know, I think you're going to see a lot more tournaments trying to bring a little bit more of that youthful vibe to them, without question. You know, I mean, I, I look at the Travelers Championship up in up in Hartford, uh, in the Hartford area. They've really done some fun things there. You know, fan interaction stuff, where it's not necessarily a, a big party like it is at you know in Phoenix. But you know, all these a lot of these tournaments are trying to do these kind of things. Um, and uh, I just don't think you can create, or I should say recreate, what they have in Phoenix at every stop. Yeah. And, and frankly, I don't really think, you know, listen, that is also, not every player likes that whole scene, right? Yeah. You know, so you know, there are certain players, the older school players, or maybe even some younger school players that just don't, they don't want to deal with the distractions and all the drunks and everybody going crazy. Hmm. Um, <laughs> And honestly, you know, you, you could make the argument that it, that it went a little overboard this year with all the beers being thrown out there with a hole-in-one. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, you could make that, you know, you could certainly make an argument there that they might have gotten, they might have crossed the line a little bit. But I've been out there. I've covered that tournament. Um, I've actually played twice in a, uh, or I say played, I participated twice in, in, in what they have there. It's, a, it's like a little kind of a celebrity hole-in-one or closest to the pin contest at 16 and won some money for charity there. Actually, uh, I did it twice and won money twice for it, which is kind of cool experience. So uh, I love it. I, I, I totally agree with agreement with you in the fact that it's, it, it's a great new wave in golf and it's, it's gotten bigger and more fun at Phoenix. Um, and it's just grown really. And I think you're going to see a lot of tournaments try to, you know, I mean, you look at the European tour there, they've been very, very, proactive with some of the stuff music's playing you know they have some mixed events men and women playing in the same tournament um you know this is what's coming right now i mean you know the leagues we've talked on this show about the you know the impending saudi league that's kind of hanging out there that hasn't been made official yet but these kind of changes to the game are coming and and whether you like it or not you better get used to it mark canizero the new york post he spent uh, last week involved with the super bowl uh, I was interested in your article about uh, Sean McVay, the coach of the world champion Rams, uh, and his future as a Rams coach. You think he should stay and not go into television, although he'll get probably a number of offers. And looking at your article today in the New York Post, uh, where it's a staying in character, and it's a picture of Sean and his fiance. I wouldn't leave home if I was going to be engaged to her. 
<laughs> you know, I, I don't think you make any arguments there. You know, it was a little weird to write that column, to be honest with you, Howard, because, I, you know, to me, there's absolutely zero reason for him to leave. And, and, and the only reason this became a topic of conversation was, as I mentioned in the column, you know, Sean was, it was very open and very, you know, he's terrific in interviews. On Friday at the Super Bowl last week, which was the last day of availability prior to the game, you know, he spoke very openly about the fact that his plans were to get married this summer and he wants to have a family. And, you know, he grew up in a coaching family, obviously, with, you know, with his grandfather, John McVay, uh, former Giant coach, former Niners GM. Uh, and, and, you know, it takes a toll on your family, you know, uh, and, you know, with the, the hours and the stress and all that kind of thing. So he was just being open about that and basically just being honest, saying, you know, no, nobody can predict the future. I don't know what's going to happen. And I think some reporters kind of took that, read between the lines and ran with it. And listen, we all, we're all, you know, guilty of doing that. We, we live in a read between the lines society, right? You know, we're all trying to be first reporting something. And, well, I think this is what he meant or whatever. And I think it, it kind of became something that was more than it was meant to be. Uh, it was just Sean being honest on Friday. And to the point where he literally, I think, he texted Ian Rappaport from the, from the uh, NFL Network to tell him, look, you know, this is, you know, I'm, I'm focused on this team. You know, I'm in the moment. You know, I'm, you know, I want to coach. And after the game, you know, he was very much the same. He said, he had, you know, you know, he didn't have any plans to go anywhere. So, um, but that's why it became a topic of conversation. And you point out all the reasons, you know, there's a lot of reasons for him to stay, you know, beginning with the fact that he's, you know, a Super Bowl champion and uh, with an owner that, you know, will spend anything, you know, as you can tell by that stadium that they built. And, uh, oh, by the way, you know, uh, uh, you know, Matthew Stafford is, was, you know, Sean's handpicked quarterback, you know, from last year when they kind of connected in Cabo and uh, on vacation, uh, um, very coincidentally. And, and, and he ended up making, you know, pulling a trade-off. So, you know, Sean McVay is essentially coaching a Pro Bowl team, you know, every day at practice. You know, that's what it's become sure. like for him. So why would you walk away from this now at age 36? You know, TV is going to be there for Sean, and the money will only get bigger down the line than it is now. I would um, think about my time working with Matt Millen when we did Monday Night Football together on CBS Radio, and Matt and I had numerous conversations uh, about his desire at some point to get back into the game, not just as a broadcaster. And he was tremendous uh, as a TV analyst, uh, on Fox, and then he worked with me on radio. But he had this desire uh, to uh, have a result at the end of the game. By that, he meant uh, that he missed the competitiveness of being involved with the team. You know, no as question. you know, and he's got Super Bowl rings that he's got that he won with a couple of different franchises. So he was approached by the Detroit Lions by uh, Mr. Ford Senior. And the junior is the one who killed that whole opportunity, so he didn't take the job. But then a couple of years later, junior called him, and he's telling me one night we're having dinner uh, on a Sunday night, and he says, um, they're, they're serious in Detroit. And I said, well, why would you go back there? Why would you, go, why would you take a, 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 an executive job? He said, because I missed the results at the end of the game. Yeah. And this hey, listen, for... for for all of those guys, Howard, at that that have been at the level that you know the Matt's been at, that all of these guys at, who've been elite athletes, it's like a drug for these guys, and that's why it's so difficult for them to walk away. I mean, I, listen, we're sitting right now on a powder keg with with Tom Brady right now. You know, I mean, Brady just quote unquote retired. You know, and there's a lot of people out there that don't that they don't think they've seen the last of Brady. You know, and and you know there aren't many more competitive people or people more competitive by you know, by what we've seen, read, heard, and, you know, witnessed than Tom Brady. Right. So how he is going to, you know, find any satisfaction or sate, you know, sate his appetite, you know, with anything that's going to you know, even come close to comparing to that, to the competition he's going to miss is going to be a fascinating thing to watch. And, uh, you know, it, it absolutely, you know, I've, you know, I've spoken to so many athletes about this uh, over the years. Steve Young has been fascinating, you know, just talking about, when to leave and when you do leave how difficult it is and you feel like you're like jumping off a cliff and you can't ever get back up again and um you know just really you know it's fascinating it's a really fascinating element to you know athletes coaches you know 
it's like a drug for these guys. You know, I, and, and I, I, uh, I remember having a conversation when, you know, when that whole crazy Bill Parcells thing was going on with the Jets and the Patriots. And uh, uh, I talked to Bob Kraft. Uh, I remember when Parcells was going to go back to the Jets to be a quote, I'm using air quotes over the telephone, consultant, right? Remember that deal? Yep. Were you doing the Jet games back then? Uh, I started doing the Jet games in Bill's second year. Okay, so so right before you got there, or, or no, yeah, so you so that so anyway, so right before you got there, that was all taking place as you well know. He was going to be consultant. Belichick was going to be the coach. Uh, blah blah blah. And you know, I remember talking to Kraft in the in the chair I'm sitting in right now in my desk at home in Highlands, New Jersey, and he told me he goes. He goes, do you really think that Bill Parcells is not going to coach again? He goes, it's like a drug to him. I literally, I, he literally said it's like an addictive drug to him. That's what, and, and, and how long was it before Parcells was coaching? It wasn't very long, right? right. You know, so it, it just, it's a fascinating element to sports and the guys and, and men and women that play at such a high level, you know, when, you know, it's hard to walk away from it. And, uh, you know, that's why your, your story about Matt Millen doesn't surprise me at all. And, and that's why I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen with, uh, you know, with, with, with Brady. I mean, look at, you know, geez, look at Brett Favre. I mean, I felt like he, he retired or retired like six times. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic. Uh, and, again, listen, in Sean's case, he's only 36 years old. He could step away for a couple of years. But I feel like you step away. First of all, you're stepping away from a team that's, you know, going to be the odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl again next year. Uh, you know, so that in and of itself is, is silly. Um, and you know, then you step away. You don't know what you're coming back to, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I, I it, you know, to me, it's it's a no-brainer. Uh, listen, I, you know, that column I wrote today could, you know, may not uh, age very well. And in, in, in a month, when when you know when McVeigh announces he's going to go to Monday Night Football or something yeah. like that, I'll look like an idiot. But you know, I I feel pretty strongly that that's not going to happen. No, and I, I I'm one of those that thinks that Tom Brady is not going to retire. Permanently, I, I, I just can't see him not coming back because all the reasons you, uh, for all the reasons you stated, plus the fact he went out on a loss, and I think that's going to eat at him and drive him back to playing. Uh, look, that Buccaneers team is still a very competitive team, but they're aging a little bit, so they're going to have to make some some adjustments along the way. But getting back to to McVeigh. Uh, the youngest coach ever to win a Super Bowl by 50 days. Uh, Mike Tomlin had the previous uh, distinction. Uh, and you, you watch that game, and I, not, I mean, from the second possession of that game, when Cincinnati had the ball in great field position and gained eight yards, I think, on first down, and then three tries from there could not produce a first down, and they turned it over on downs in excellent field position. And... My, I thought that the Bengals uh, made so many bad coaching decisions during that game. They could have won that game without question in my mind. But what's haunted Burrow all year? Sacks. The most sacked quarterback in the league, and he got sacked uh, seven times. That was as much as Roger Staubach, who had the record previously. So I give the Rams credit defensively, and, and that leads to the question about Aaron Donald. Uh, if he retires, uh, does he have the stomach to sit it out? Or, uh, I mean, you leave on a, on a Super Bowl win, that's fine. But the, that, that defense, Aaron Donald took over that last possession and dominated. Yeah, he absolutely did. And, and it's funny, you know, you know, it's amazing that um, the Bengals did a pretty good job on Donald for the first, you know, two, two plus quarters. And, you know, Raheem Morris, the. Uh, um, the Rams defensive coordinator did a really good job of adjusting, sending more guys, you know, making it more difficult for uh, for the Bengals to double team, you know, uh, Donald. And, and Don, that's when Donald started started breaking through. Um, you know, the, I'm going to go to the Bengals' uh, uh, choices. I, I believe that what you referred to, I think, it was the Bengals' first drive when they went for fourth and one at the 49 there. Right. Um, you know, I actually. I, I, I liked the statement that Zach Taylor was making there, uh, that he was not playing close to the vest. He came to win. You know, it, it was almost a message to his team to a, to a degree, I felt. 
and it didn't work, and the Rams took over with great field position and scored a touchdown. Obviously, OBJ, I believe, scores a touchdown. And, you know, but Cincinnati recovered from that. I mean, they, you know, they got back, you know, they took the lead. Um, so I, I liked the way Taylor, you know, made that decision. I thought it was bold, and, uh, I mean, I, geez, I mean, you, you could, you know, if you turn it around, what if what if McVay going for fourth and one from his own 30 with five minutes left and three timeouts didn't work out? Yep. I mean, you know, you could make the argument that that was a foolhardy decision because if you if you don't make that, you're pretty much the game's pretty much over. I mean, they, the, the Bengals really have to screw it up, you know, to lose that game. At worst, they're going to get a field goal and go up seven. So that I thought was, you know, I, I mean, listen, I love it watching it as a viewer. It was it was bold. It was a, it was a tremendous play call. Cup on the jet sweep, uh, gain seven yards, and off they go and score the winning touchdown. But um, I liked the way that Zach Taylor, you know, played that, you know, played out that game. I all thought, I thought defensively, Lou Anarumo, who I did a big piece on in the post leading into uh, the game, right. Staten Island uh, native defensive coordinator for the uh, for the Bengals. I thought they did a great job for most of the game. I, if anything, I, I thought that Sean McVay stuck with the run too too off too long. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he just kept trying to establish the run, and Cam Akers couldn't get anything. And uh, you know, so I thought the Bengals' defense did a great job. I uh, uh, and so yeah, it was it was a you know at the end of the day, I really the game was not a, an extremely pleasing watch, was it? I mean, it was no. not. You know, yeah, there was some really good defensive plays. Obviously, Donald at the very end. I mean, the game kind of got encapsulated in the last five five minutes of the game when when the Rams go down and score that game, you know the go ahead touchdown, and then and then Donald shuts it down with the dominant you know two plays at the end there, the third and fourth down plays, you know, to stop the Bengals. But really, it was not a memorable game to me. You know what I mean? It, you know, and listen, last year's wasn't either. I mean, you know, the Buccaneers, you know, pretty much had the upper hand on Kansas City. You know, and we've been spoiled too, Howard, hadn't we, with the playoffs? I mean, the, the previous five out of the six previous playoff games have been mind-boggling. I mean, just in in, in how dramatic they were, the crazy, amazing offense. So yeah, it was a it was a very odd game to watch, to write. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I wrote my column on Cooper Cup. You know, but Cup was virtually silent until the last drive. But I thought part of what made Cup's performance so amazing was the fact that. You know, they were basically they were at least double teaming him on almost every play, and finally, Sean McVay says to Stafford at the sideline, "Look, you and you and Coop just go get this thing done. Like, like you're gonna throw it to Coop mm-hmm. regardless of who's on him. You know, because he's your best player. You know, he's the best player out there. But you could have made easily made the argument that Donald should have been could and should have been the MVP. So it was it was a weird game, um, but it was a close game, and that was what was cool to come down to the end, and that was the best part of it." Uh, the number of things. Number one, anybody who says they had Cincinnati and L.A. before the season started in the Super Bowl is lying. Uh, nobody, nobody said that was. We, we were looking at either Buffalo or Kansas City in the AFC, Tampa Bay, Green Bay in the NFC. And no so, question. yeah, but what, what was great about the game was that, yeah, it wasn't one of those that's going to go into the memory books. But what it did, it provided a compelling game to where you didn't know how the outcome was going to be uh and so from that standpoint it was interesting and i mean i was at a super bowl party and everybody was really excited about the about the way the game was going um look cooper cup had one of those magical years led the league in receptions yardage touchdowns and i loved him because he was on my fantasy team but that aside uh uh when odell beckham jr went out I thought that was a, a key moment in the game, and now we find out he had a torn ACL. But there was a there was a, a big uh, problem for the Rams, and they survived that uh, by using other other ways to score. But I I'm, I thought Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup should have split the MVP. I thought they were that dominant at their respective yeah, positions. Yeah, I think that would have been fair, frankly. I think that would have been fair. Um, yeah. I would, I would have been a, probably a more fair outcome for both both guys. Um, so I do agree with you on that. Um, the uh, In today's NFL, can you realize they, they, they posted the odds for next season and the Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs are right up there. I mean, in today's NFL, can you really predict who the favorites are going to be for seven months from now when 
because there is right now there is no dominant team in the NFL, right? No, and you know what's interesting? When you looked at the Buccaneers last year, the Buccaneers returned all 22 of their starters from the Super Bowl team. I mean, if you could, I mean, that that to me felt like a lock that they were going to be back, you know? And cuz most you know, most teams when they once they get to the Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl, everybody wants their money. They want raises, you know, guys are up for contracts. They want they want to get paid. And somehow it worked out that the Buccaneers were, to, were able to keep all of the 20, every 22 uh, starters. Now, obviously, there's injuries during the year, and you know, you know, there are many variables that take place. But I thought if there was any team going into this this season, entering this season, that was most as much a sure thing as, as there could be, it was it was the Buccaneers. Yep. You know, even Green Bay, you kind of wondered after all the you know the Aaron Rodgers drama of the off season, will he stay? Does he want out? All that kind of stuff. You know, I thought that was going to have a negative effect on the Packers, and it didn't. Um, and they were obviously a fantastic team. The AFC, you know, I mean, the Chiefs went through kind of a malaise there during the stretch, and and, and where where Mahomes actually looked human for a few games. Um, so you know, there was never any dominant team in the AFC without question. It just you know it just wasn't there all year. But you know, because of that though, we were gifted those playoff games that were so competitive and so close mm-hmm. because of the fact that they weren't so many dominant teams, Howard, right? I mean, yep. that Buffalo-Kansas City game, you know, you wish that was the Super Bowl because yeah. that was one of the epic games you'll ever see in your lifetime. That was you know? And so, yeah, there's just, uh, I mean, the fact that the Tennessee was the number one seed in the AFC, I bet you, if you asked 10 football fans who are pretty hardy football fans, who the number one seed in the AFC were, I bet you not more than four or five of them would, would tell you that it was the Titans. Yep. Right? Yep. No doubt. There's no doubt. Look, uh, you mentioned uh, Rodgers. I mean, Rodgers is holding the Packers hostage. Uh, if the, He's still got a year to go on his contract, so he can't just arbitrarily walk away. He would have to be traded. And you know the Packers are not going to trade him in the NFC. So they're going to want to maybe go to an AFC team. Everybody's talking about Denver. I think the ideal situation for him would be San Francisco. I mean, he's a West Coast guy and all of that, but they have the, the ingredients of being a pretty good football team. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, I, and the Niners are obviously ready to move on from Jimmy G, it seems like. And, you know, do they really want to put all their eggs in the basket of the, of, you know, the kid they drafted? Um, you know, although they, do, they did, you know, trade up to draft them third overall, whatever it was. So, um you know, the Trey Lance thing, I, I don't know. I mean, do we really know that Trey Lance can play? I mean, the Niners were, you nope. know, they were only a few plays away from getting to the Super Bowl, you know, and, and last year with Jimmy G, who nobody seems to respect or like. Now, I want to say like, that's probably not the way, but then nobody seems to respect him as, as an elite quarterback. Um, so, you know, but, you know, that, that, that Rodgers-Niners thing is a weird it's a weird combo. It's a weird dynamic there, Howard, you know, because it seems like Rodgers still has a bug up his butt about the fact that the Niners, you know, you know, didn't draft him. And so, I don't know, you know, being a local kid and all that kind of stuff, seems to, I mean, Rodgers seems to have a chip on his shoulder about everything. So, yeah. I guess we can probably just, you know, he probably has a chip on his shoulder mm-hmm. that I had toast this morning instead of cereal <laughs> but uh, for breakfast. But, you know, everything seems to agitate Rodgers to some, to some degree. But... He does seem to have a weird kind of awkward dynamic with you know going on with the Niners, so I'm not sure. And, 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 and as you said, would the Packers want to trade him in, within the conference? You know, um, Tennessee is an interesting dynamic because you know they don't seem to be that enamored of Tannehill, even though Tannehill just keeps winning with them. Um, you know, that's a place that could be an elite quarterback away from being a Super Bowl team. You know, so that that to me is probably one of the more interesting cases, and it's out of conference. You know, if that's you know the route that Rodgers wanted to take. All right, let's take a bite of the Big Apple as it relates to the Jets and the Giants. The Jets draft fourth and tenth in April's draft. They've got fifty-three million uh, in um, in cap space, but as you well know, Joe Douglas is not a guy that you expect is going to go out and spend money like he printed it. So. Uh, I mean, it seems to me on the surface that their picks four and ten will probably be on the defensive side of the ball. How do you see it? 
I, I think it has to be. I think you got you got to find you know you have to find some top top end cornerbacks and pass rushers. I mean, you know, the Jets have just been so lacking in those. I mean, you know, they went into this season with basically you know a secondary other than Marcus May that was you know bottom of the barrel, um, and uh, and then they had a rash of injuries on top of that, including losing Marcus May. So um, they have to do something there. Um, and, you know, I, listen, at, at four, there's going to be one of those edge, edge rushers is going to be sitting there at four for him, you know. Um, you know, I don't think the, Michi- the Michigan kid's probably not going to be there. He, he's probably going to go one or two, I would guess. Right. But there are some guys out there, you know, that are highly, you know, highly touted edge rushers. So do they go that route and, and, and try, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be, I, I, I totally agree. With you. It has to be defense. Um, I think you can build around Zach Wilson offensively, you know, certainly later in the draft and, uh, and, and through some free agency. Um, but uh, without question, you've got to go defensively four and 10. I'd be surprised if they didn't. Uh, and, and in terms of the free agents, Look, they still need. They've got. I still think Elijah Moore is going to be a big time player at some point, uh, but I still think they 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 might be shopping around for a free agent wide receiver. What do you think? I I, I absolutely think so. I don't have the, the list of guys who are free right now in front of me, but they they have got to. I, I see. I, that's a, that's an area where I think I think you you maybe want to try to upgrade your receiving core. Instead of using a, a four or ten, I don't think there's a receivers out there that's that's worth being drafted at four. And I'm not even sure if there's one at ten. If I'm not mistaken, I'm not like sitting in, in my in front of my draft stuff yet, but I haven't really locked into that yet. But you know, it's you know, receivers can be found in the draft. You know, in the in the in the mid rounds, that can be really good players. We've seen that constantly, and uh, I'm not sure you want to. You want to go the route of using one of those first round draft picks on a receiver. So that said, um, you know maybe they upgrade. And, you know you, you want to find somebody. You know, listen. I mean, the Giants. You know, spent a lot of money on Kenny Galladay last year, and it, it was a total bust. Um, you know, and uh, uh, as did the Jets. You know, on Davis, and he just. You know, I mean, he was hurt a lot, and you know he didn't bring much to the table. You know, we we need. I guess in fairness, we need to see him. You know, healthy, but uh, um, so I, I think that's an area where they can upgrade themselves, and probably not too massively, you know, expensive either uh, in free agency. As for the Giants, I talked to Carl Banks at the beginning of the year, and I said, "Is this a make or break year for Daniel Jones?" And he emphatically said, "No." Um, so that, having having heard that and said that, I think this is make or break year too uh, for Daniel well, Jones. Is, no question. This yeah. is it. This is it for him. You yeah. know, uh, and and what does Brian Dable bring to the table? Well, obviously, a lot of people liked him from Buffalo, and they're raving about him. Uh, and putting the Brian Flores lawsuit aside for a second, uh, which is still a, a major story, uh, here's Brian Dable who comes in with an offensive background that can only be helpful to Daniel Jones if, in fact, he's going to be the Giants' long-term quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be helpful to Jones and the entire offense, really, because the Giants have been at the bottom of the league in offense the last two years. And, uh, um, you know, I, you know, the Giant fan that, that, that is hoping that, that Dayball is going to turn, you know, Daniel Jones into Josh Allen, that's a little, that's a bit aggressive, but, you know, in terms of hopes. But um, I'll be shocked if Daniel Jones, as long as he stays healthy, uh, and the neck does not continue to become an issue for him. Um, I'll be shocked if he's not a, a much improved quarterback next year, and I'll be shocked if those receivers are not more productive next year in, in the Brian Dayball system. And, uh, you know, this is absolutely it. I mean, the Giants, there's no reason for the Giants to, you know, to go the fifth-year option thing with Daniel Jones. You make him play for play for pay this year. And you know what? If Dayball turns him into a, you know, a top, 12, 15, 10, 15, whatever, 10, 12 quarterback in the league, and he, and he commands big money after this year, then you then you don't mind paying it, you know? Uh, that was my big argument with Sam Darnold, you know, when the Jets were messing around with that. And then they, you know, they end up signing him to fifth-year option. I'm like, why would you do that, you know? Uh, or they end up trading him, I should say. But but then the Carolina signs him to fifth-year option, and he, and he kind of flopped last year. And now they're stuck with that contract. So... 
Um, this is absolutely, you know, listen, if, 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 if it doesn't work with Jones this year and Dayball's first year, then it's just not going to work and they're going to move on. That's bottom line. That's it. It's going to be intriguing, to say the least. But, you know, now you got seven months off. Well, no, you don't. You always have something to write about, right? I sure do, yes. I'm <laughs> uh, going to take a little time off, and then it's golf season in a couple weeks for me anyway. Well, good for you, man. Hey, appreciate your insight as always. Stay safe. Thanks, Howard. Talk to you soon. Okay. Mark Cantazero of the New York Post brings a lot to the table, no question about it. Uh, and I thought... Look, did I think it was one of the great Super Bowls of all time? No, I didn't. I wouldn't lie to you, and that, that's, that's deception. The reality was it was compelling, and it came right down to the end. And everybody wanted to see, you know, the upset. Everybody wanted Joe Burrow and Cincinnati to win, uh, and they came close. Uh, did they find ways to lose? No. The Rams found ways to win. Cooper Cup made big plays. Stafford made big throws. Aaron Donald made big plays. You know, you 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 gotta you gotta say to yourself, they deserved the opportunity. Uh, good for them. And you know, we'll see how it all shakes out. We're gonna change gears now. Talk to Gerald Brown from the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Hello. There he is, my man, Gerald Brown. How are you, sir? Howard, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's in the heat of uh, the battle where everybody is, is, uh, is so tightly bunched in the East, uh, not so much in the West. Uh, John Moran is making everybody sit up and take notice because he's a spectacular player. But I want to deal with, uh, with um, where, where the street game in New York has had some compelling stories, to say the least. Let me deal with the Nets first. They got a taste of what that trade for James Harden turned out to be last night. Finally broke their 11-game losing streak. And I'm watching young Mr. Curry take the headlines away from his brother and help the Nets win a game last night. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, you bring in veterans. I mean, you know, the Nets desperately needed to win. Let's be clear about that and honest. You know, they, they needed to win, but uh, did they beat one of the top-tier teams? In the league, no, they beat the Sacramento Kings. And, uh, you, you know, with Seth Curry coming in and playing well, I think also Andre Drummond, it's kind of, the you know, sort of the, the, the right ingredients at the right time. You know, they got the perfect team to kind of, if you will, come in, play against, to be able to get those guys acclimated. And hopefully it won't, you know, be short-circuited somewhat because of the fact is that we have the all-star break coming up soon and I think the biggest question will be is you know how long will it take for them to all gel and get on the same page because second half of the season because of the situation they're in and the hole they've dug dug themselves how long will it take to get everybody going and go through those sort of uh, ups and downs and be able to get them all sorted out before the playoffs start uh, the uh, that's always you know had the the ongoing Kyrie Irving soap opera uh, the game's ahead. They play the Knicks tomorrow at Madison Square Garden, so Irving can't play. Then uh, the All-Star break. Then they play Washington at home. He can't play. Uh, they play, um, I forget who they play after that. I think Boston after the All-Star break. He can't play in that. Uh, this whole thing it, it aggravates me to the hilt, Gerald. i got to tell you. It aggravates me because the NBA and the basketball teams are teams, and Kyrie Irving it's about what's good for him first. Uh, and I, I object to that. I thought the Nets handled it right early on. And they, they went against what they originally wanted to do, maybe because of injuries and all the rest. But uh, Irving's explanation just leaves me flat out cold, I have to tell you. How do you feel about it? Well, I mean, look, you know, I, I respect the fact that it's, you know, his decision. However, you know, you, you, you're almost like a civil servant. You know, you're working as a civil servant and, and you have signed up to be a professional athlete and, you know, the decision to, you know, be in a situation where you're going to buy into what the team is considering to do. Now, I, I don't agree with it. And I, I just look at, you know, Kyrie Irving, if you look at his sort of 
time in New York and Brooklyn from when they went into the bubble decision and really outspoken about a lot of the things I I applaud him for really taking a stance in regards to a lot of social issues. But sometimes deep down inside, Howard, I, I can't help but think that is this a guy that's really doing something that he doesn't really want to do? Because it's always a situation that occurs. And you think about it, this is a real joke. And I think that before, if things wouldn't have gotten better, perhaps I, I wouldn't have been surprised if management would have come to him and said, enough is enough. You either get the vaccinated or we're just going to move on. But I think as now, you know, thankfully the numbers are starting to decrease. Maybe Kyrie and the Nets are holding out some hope that possibly if these mandates are lifted, he would be able to participate and play, you know, regular season games. But I don't know how this is going to work out moving forward. This is really a stain that's on the league that just won't go away because you're right. We're heading into all-star break, and even afterwards, they're not going to have a player back that is pretty much the team is invested in to be one of their top stars. And I just question moving forward when you talk about contracts, what type of incentive-laden situation will be put in place to protect themselves against a guy who, for the past two years, let's be honest, has really been in my head really hasn't even played anything close to, you know, a full schedule, at least half of a schedule. It's always been something. And I just wonder if it wasn't Kevin Durant being there, you know, if the Nets would have already moved on from Kyrie Irving because uh, it, it just doesn't make any sense and it's doing more harm than good. Well, this is not shouldn't be anything new to anybody. I mean, he had problems in Cleveland. He had problems in Boston. My old partner, Cornbread Maxwell, said... When he left Boston, they wanted to throw a party because he was that divisive in their locker room. And look, I think the guy's a great I think he's a top 10 player in the NBA without question. He's got and maybe that's the reason why he's, you know, they've given him a little bit of rope here. But, you know, having that aside, that aside, Ben Simmons, we don't know when Ben Simmons is going to play. He hasn't played a game in a year uh from, I guess from working out and, and all that, he's probably in good physical condition, but that's not basketball shape. And as you well know, it's something that's completely different. I'm not sure when, when they target him to come back. Obviously, it's going to be after the All-Star break. The question is, how far after the All-Star break? Yeah, that's, that's going to be a very, very interesting thing because, you know, I don't know. I mean, do you try to get him in some G League games? to really, you know, knock off some of the rust. Uh, we witnessed that with the Warriors doing with Clay Thompson. Um, you know, it, you're going to be up against the clock, Howard, if they don't get him going at some point in time in February. Because once you get into March, now you're starting to really try to identify and prepare yourselves to either make that push, and it's all about playoff positioning with the season and then in April, and then playoffs after that. So... You know, it's a little wiggle room now, but um, I, I would anticipate that the Nets would have to really, really start looking at some time in either the latter stages of February or first or second weekend in March, at least getting him out on the court and letting him play. Because I said before, once you get the whole complementary parts to everything to the team, it's going to take some time to gel. And when you're doing that, we all know that March really runs straight into April in terms of the playoffs and stuff. And you want to try to position yourself to be as high as possible with a seed that, again, you can be able to have, uh, you know, long-term success in the playoffs. All right. Best case scenario. Uh, they had Ben Simmons. We know he's an excellent defensive player. We know he's an excellent passer. He can penetrate. He can go to the basket. His shot, you know, his... His, his shooting has been digested ad nauseum. We know he's not a good shooter, but he can score. Uh, and now you got him as a defensive player. Uh, the Nets are not a good defensive team. With him um, and, and with Andre Drummond, they are better defensively, you know. And then uh, Durant comes back, you would expect sh- probably close to after the All-Star break, right? I, I mean, I don't know the exact date, but he's got to be coming back soon. Yeah, I mean, look, on paper, you know, Durant comes back. um, 
and, and, and really adding drama, drumming, you have Curry. But I think the key thing, Howard, in this whole situation, that perhaps, and I think I might have mentioned it last week, when we were talking about this before the, tra- uh, the trade had really been, uh, had, had happened, is the fact is that the issues that occurred in Philadelphia that led to Doc Rivers' comments, Joel Embiid, was, you know, Ben Simmons' struggles in the playoffs. Now, the biggest question is, yeah, we can look at all the great things that he can implement for this Nets team. But if those situations are not corrected from being a guy that can be able to at least be a scoring option in some capacity, get to the free throw line, knock down free throws on a consistent basis, whatever transpired in Philly will follow him to Brooklyn. And if that is not taken out, taken care of, you're talking about now an even bigger issue because it's on a bigger stage. And now on top of that, you have Kyrie Irving, who's not going to be there for home games. So th- there's a lot of moving parts with this mm-hmm. whole situation mm-hmm. that still need to be resolved. And I think at the end of the day, if he is not the player that, you know, okay, you know, if it was just a fluke, what happened in the playoffs, fine. But if he is a guy that it still has those liabilities in his game, I just think at the end of the day, it's still going to be the same problem. And once again, the issues that Doc Rivers had to answer, Steve Nash will have to answer. Kevin Durant will have to answer. And so this is something that bears, bears close monitoring because – can you imagine he comes back in March and, you know, real still trying to get through some of the, uh, I'm sorry about that, Howard. Right. Sorry about that. It's the school. And he, he's trying to get through all of the, you know, trying to work out the kinks and the rust and all those things that he turns around and goes into the playoff. And you have a situation where he comes up short and struggle. The New York media will be all over him. And, uh, you know, now it would be a situation is, you know, what do they do? What do they do? You know, Steve Nash, how do you make sure you answer it so it doesn't hurt him and, and, and really hurt this franchise moving forward? So it's still a lot that remains to be seen. But I think it's very interesting. Nobody's really talking about that. And it's all of the positives and how he fits in. If he cannot be the guy that was once a dominant player that had these, you know, gifts in terms of passing and being able to at least get to the basket, excel at the free throw line, I, I don't know, especially with a part-time player in Kyrie Irving. He's Gerald Brown of the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. We go to the Knicks. Tom Thibodeau has made two major gaffes in the last week, the first of which was in Denver. When they're down 16, he puts R.J. Barrett back in the game with three and a half minutes to go. And, his, uh, and then with 18 seconds left in the game, Barrett turns his ankle. He hasn't played since. Thibodeau's explanation was, we had a chance to win, and I'm thinking, what are you smoking? You, you were down 16. You think, what, all of a sudden the Nuggets were going to stop scoring? Uh, so his explanation just rang hollow to me. Uh, and then last night, he for some reason forgot that he didn't have a challenge left, and he takes one, makes a cha- loses a timeout, so with five seconds left in the game in regulation, instead of taking the ball out at midcourt where you could advance it with a timeout, uh, he can't do that. So they had to take a desperation shot, and they go to overtime, and of course they lose. Uh, I, I don't know. Thibodeau's explanations, to, to me, just don't make any sense to me, Gerald. I mean, am I, am I off base here? Well, you hear those bells. Those bells are going off because, you know what, I think the Knicks are sounding the alarm. And honestly, I don't know. It seems apparent that maybe this is wearing on Thibodeau because, you know, last season, you know, the success that the team had really flew under the radar. You know, uh, nobody was paying attention. They really caught, you know, got an opportunity, caught a very nice break. And now moving into the season, the sort of expectation was to try to get this team back to the playoffs. And now we're just starting to see they're not that good. And I think things are magnified even more with some of the decisions Tom Thibodeau has been making. And I think that perhaps maybe just this all-star break, 
is coming at the right time because as we talked about before, I mean, they're going to have some issues and some situations to really focus on. I mean, Mitchell Robinson is going to be looking for extension. You know, uh, you, you're going to have to perhaps decide what you're going to do, probably have to pay R.J. Barrett. And then, you, you know, you got Cam Reddish there, who's, you know, maybe in some situations where perhaps not really showcasing them because you can't afford to pay everybody. But I think ultimately, just depends on how the second half of the season goes for the Knicks will be determined if Tom Thibodeau will be on the hot seat going into next season. Uh, that's interesting that you say that because I'm feeling the same thing. And the explanations, look, the Knicks have lost 6 of 7, 10 of 11. They've fallen to 12th in the East. They're three games out of the 10th and play-in spot. Uh, and the explanations that I hear from Nick apologists, notably their broadcasts, uh, it's the, the post-game show, saying, well, uh, you know, Julius Randle played particularly well. Really? Uh, Julius Randle scored, what did he score last night, 28 points, something like that, 30? I think he had 30. He yeah. had 30, okay. Uh, he had a triple-double last night. That's fine. He had 30 points on 26 shots. He was 11, of, he was 11 for 26. He turned the ball over seven times. And, and he fouls out of the game, and he, like Coach Thibodeau, all they do is focus on bitching at the referees. Stop, because it's it's gotten to a point. I'm picking up one of the local, the Daily News today. Here's a picture of Thibodeau bitching at the referees. That's all he seems to do. Yeah, it's 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 been one problem after the next with them. And look, you know, in some ways, I mean. Look, a lot of people have even said that the Knicks made a mistake in giving Julius Randle the max deal. And, you know, now it'll be trying to figure out how to get rid of them. They couldn't unload them at the, at the deadline. And it just really hasn't worked out. And, you know, granted, we all understood what happened to Marv Albert, you know, the great Marv Albert, when he spoke out about, you know, the Knicks and some of the things and their problems, you know, he was asked not that he was not not brought back and asked to be a part of their broadcasting team. So I'm not surprised at that. But it, you're right. It's 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 been a lot, and I think clearly this is a team that's void of talent. They're void of a number one guy. And even though Julius Randle is being paid as a number one guy, he's clearly not a number one guy. I don't even think he's a number two, maybe a three at best. But until they get all these things out and worked out, and I mean, look, if it gets really bad, I mean, I would clearly think that maybe Tom Thibodeau doesn't even make it into next season. Depending on the second half of the season uh, starts off for them, and better yet, if they really uh, stumble down the stretch, and let's say not even in contention for that play in Tempsey, I wouldn't be surprised if Tibbs was really uh, let go at the end of the season or so, or just even resign because of the fact is, you know, again, it's a lot of pressure um, and, 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 and kind of in a situation where it's reminiscent of what transpired when he was in Minnesota. I mean, you know, he got off to a great start and, you know, he brought in Jimmy Butler and Butler gets them to the playoffs on the last day and, and, and they get in. And then after that, Butler and the situation transpired and they were never the same. So, you know, it, it, it's really pointed to the fact is that here he had a lot of talent, a lot of success in Chicago, but his MO has always been a situation where sometimes the message becomes stale. Guys get worn down and he runs a lot of his players and stuff. You know, a lot of them, he overextends them, but it, the message becomes stale and maybe we're just seeing it a little sooner rather than later in New York. Taking a bite of the Big Apple with Gerald Brown of Sirius XM uh, NBA Radio on the, uh, I, I would say this, you know, we've talked before about Kyrie Irving. His resume is quite clear. Same thing with Thibodeau. His resume is quite clear. Same thing happened, you pointed out, in Minnesota, in Chicago. Now here it is in New York. You know, Bill Parcells used to always say, you are what your record says you are. Well, in this case, you are what your resume says you are. And uh, I, look, Leon Rose, I think, dropped the ball on the trade deadline. They, they did nothing. Um, you got to consider Mitchell Robinson's a free agent after the season's over. So why wouldn't you at least shop him and find out what you could get in return? It might be an awful lot for a guy who is a good rim protector, blocks shots, gets rebounds. 
but he's got no offensive game outside of dunking. So he can't shoot the ball from 10 feet. So that plus uh, I, I, everybody speculated that Julius Randle might get traded. He could be a good number two, number three guy on a good team, you know, and make a difference to, for a contending team to win a championship. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know what I mean? Look, I, you know, if you look at Leon Rose, I think clearly you might have to look at Dolan and say he's the guy that owns the team and really decides who goes, who stays. You know, and, and you're right about Mitchell Robinson, but I think the curious thing about it is that if you look at a guy like Mitchell Robinson, you want to continue to develop him. And I think the biggest thing in order, and had an NBA executive tell me, he said, tell me this, he said, in order to win in the NBA, you got to draft well, then you got to be able to develop the guys that you draft, then you got to be able to hit home runs in free agency as well as in trades. And if you do those four things, you're going to be a perennial team contending for a championship. And if you look at a lot of the teams, from a Milwaukee to a Phoenix, um, that have won championships, you look at the factors or teams that have been in contention for championships, as I say, you look at the factors that have had strong drafts, you develop your guys, you bring in some trades, free agents, and then you're right there. It's kind of hard to close the door to a young player is still very young and Mitchell Robinson and, and, and looking at some of the things that he can't do that hopefully, you know, if you have supporting cast around him and guys continue to develop, his game will evolve and develop. And look, the biggest thing is, is that they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with a guy like Obi Toppin. I mean, Obi Toppin is going to be in a situation where perhaps at some point you're going to have to offer him an extension. So, you know, Leon Rose and the Knicks, they have a lot of questions that still need to remain to be answered. And just in terms of if you have the right pieces around, how much better would this team be? And I imagine this offseason, they will go after, but once again, trying to find that elusive number one option. Because if you had a Damian Lillard, how much better would this team be if you had Lillard and paired him up with, along with R.J. Barrett, and you had a Mitchell Robinson and O.B. Toppin, I think the Knicks would be a lot better off. But unfortunately, when you don't have that sort of that that's, that sort of centerpiece, you know, put out there on that table, this is what you're getting. And maybe they're questioning the fact that they don't want to lose certain guys, especially when they're so young and really still developing. Well, part of their future does not include Derrick Rose, I don't think. But having said that, They've been missing leadership, and he does provide that. Um, and look how many games they have lost and blown double-digit leads. They did it again last night. Now, the giddy kid, you joked before about, well, the Nets beat Sacramento. Well, the Knicks lost to Oklahoma City that has yeah. that has seven less wins than the Knicks. That's the, the giddy kid, I mean, he's a, it's never happened before in the history of Madison Square Garden that a 19-year-old kid had a triple-double. Yeah, I mean, look, he's been playing well, and I think the biggest thing is is that, you know, you just look at the situation. Sometimes you might have to throw out the records and look at a team like Oklahoma City. Look, this is the same Oklahoma City team, Howard, that really pretty much had, I think, two impressive wins early in the uh, stages of the season against the L.A. Lakers. And, I mean, they have guys that are still trying to prove themselves in the league. And uh, Luka Dortz, you know, is a guy that's been trying to, you know, prove himself and still in the league. Shake is Alexander uh, as well. So they have guys that are kind of reminiscent, if you will, a few years back of the Brooklyn Nets where, you know, uh, they, they were a team that of guys that were still trying to prove themselves. And got hot at the right time and uh, obviously fell short or got into the playoffs and lost in the first round. But I think when you look at the Oklahoma City Thunder, you, if you're the Knicks team, this is where you are. You're a team that is void of leadership. You're a team void of that superior offensive talent that can be able to put the book back on and lead your team to victories in certain situations where you're supposed to have better talent than the team you're facing, especially if it's the Oklahoma City Thunder. That just goes to show exactly where the Knicks are in terms of the offensive talent. And you're right, look, Derrick Rose showcased what he was able to do for this team and how of a port role he played in the playoffs. But uh, clearly at this stage of his career, he is a guy that's a backup. And I think, you know, can they rely on him for certain spurts and stuff like that? Yeah, but I think this offseason, 
they got to figure out a way. I mean, look, Damian Lillard's going to be out there. You know, I don't think he's going to stay in Portland too much longer. But they got to move heaven and earth to try to get Damian Lillard and as best possible or something close to it to once again hopefully move this franchise in the right direction. Because they have drafted well. Now they need to add that other complimentary piece, which is sign good free agents and bring in a guy via trade. Well, I think the feel-good feeling that uh, that Nick fans had after last season, even though they got beat in the first round by Atlanta, that feel-good feeling is now long since gone. Uh, and so they're gonna, there's going to be a lot of pressure put on the organization to fix what is right now damaged goods. Yeah, easily. I mean, it's going to be the thing, but this has been the narrative all along with the Knicks, and I think they accelerated somewhat of the process last year, getting into the playoffs. It was a little of the fool's goal. This is a team that really is trying to build through the draft, you know, with drafting Barrett, and as well as uh, Mitchell Robinson and Obi Toppin. You know, they're still developing guys, and look, let's be honest, it hasn't worked out with Kimball Walker and Evan Ford yet. So, um, you know, it, it, it's really bad, and it doesn't help the fact that you play in New York and you have all these other sports franchises that have really struggled this season as well. So, um, you know, the biggest thing will be how well they come out the gate in the second half of the season, hopefully with the Rose back, Derrick Rose, to be able to help them and which direction they go for that second half. Because, like I said before, the way they play that second half and the way they finish will determine if, if Tom Thibodeau is brought back. Yeah, no, that's a good point. The only franchise in New York that's done anything of the New York Rangers. That's it. <laughs> and, you know, and they got a chance to win the Stanley Cup. They really do. <laughs> Look, the way Major League Baseball is going, they might be the only franchise. Yeah. Once yeah. that season's over, we can look forward to because uh, Lord knows with the Jets and Giants, that's a different story. Appreciate your insight, Gerald. As always, thanks for your time and you stay safe. Likewise, Howard. Always a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. He's Gerald Brown, Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. I uh, I remind myself when I was broadcasting the New Jersey Nets games, and the Knicks came into the Meadowlands, and I walk into the press room, and Marv Albert is sitting there, and the Nets had been, were playing well. It was when Chuck Daly was coaching, and they were a competitive team. They made the playoffs both years that Chuck was there. So we walk in and Marv gave me typical Marv smart-ass comment. He said to me, so if the Nets win the championship, where are they going to have the parade? On 16W of the New Jersey Turnpike? And I said, you know, Marv, the bubble of pomposity at some point in Madison Square Garden is going to break. That's what's happened now. The bubble of pomposity has broken. They're... Uh, I can't say the roster is terrible because they do have some talent. But they need a leader. Julius Randle is a percept, perceived leader. He's not a leader. A leader doesn't pick a fight with the garden crowd. A leader doesn't stay away from post-game press conferences. A leader doesn't make sloppy plays and turn the ball over seven times in a game. He shouldn't be handling the ball as much as he does. But he commands the ball. Okay? They would be well rid of him and make make a good move, and he could, he could bring a lot. But they don't need him. R.J. Barrett is the future star of this team, but even he will need a lot of help. This roster needs to be completely turned over. And I'm not sure that Leon Rose, the Knicks president, is the guy to do it. And I'm not sure that Tom Thibodeau, the current coach, is the guy that should be there long term. I think they need to blow it up completely. That's just my opinion. Taking a bite of the Big Apple, I'm Howard David. You stay safe. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.